Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. Well, everyone out here. Good morning, everyone online. This is new for me. Not the online part, but doing both. For those of you watching online, thanks for joining us this morning. Glenn's gone. Glenn's on vacation. Good for him. Comes back today. Don't worry. He'll be back real soon. Um, But for now, here I am. Couple quick, got to go over the the, the usual suspects here um, as far as what's happening here at Cascade. Uh, Giving. Uh, If you uh, are a member of our church or call this church body your family, um, or if you just feel like you want to give and sow into what's happening here at Cascade, we have a couple different ways you can tithe or give here. Uh, You can do it online um, right there, cascadevineyard.churchcenter.com. You can also just download the Church Center app on your smartphone if you've got a smart device at all. Uh, that makes it a lot easier. Uh, you can also set it up through your bank, just a bill pay directly through your bank account, um, and that just goes to the Cascade Vineyard office. Uh, or you can text it through Stripe. There is a small fee when you use either the online or the mobile function, um, but that just you can pay the fee so that it goes directly into your tithe here. Uh, and then, of course, there's more traditional ways you can put your tithe in the back drop box back there, or you can just mail it into our church office as well. Um, our address should be on the back on one of those uh, connection cards back there. Um, normal stuff happening here this week uh, as far as uh, reoccurring um, events. We've got our morning prayer group that's meeting now from 7 to 8, and that's up in the office so that we are respectfully following the rules that Christ the King has set for us. And then we also are continuing our King's Kindness food pantry, which has been uh, really essential and really, really helpful for a lot of people in our area throughout COVID and throughout uh, the pandemic and all kinds of other areas. Um, That's continued to be really steady and really busy. And so um, that's uh, an opportunity to serve if you have time uh, or if you even want to just grab the bottle drops. I know we've actually done a great job. Uh, Glenn was telling me, week or two before, I think you mentioned it here too, we've been able to fully fund King's Kindness just through the donations uh, that people are giving with their recyclable cans and stuff like that. So continue doing that. Uh, If you know people who are looking to try and find ways to get rid of their recyclables and actually make it useful, um, this is a great way to do it. It's been great to be able to fully fund our pantry without having to dip into any other financial stuff. So that's been really good as well. Finally, really cool thing, really glad this is happening. Cindy Fasano is partnering with uh, a member of the East Valley Vineyard Church down in Silverton to help host families that are uh, without homes or in a in-between spot right now due to the fires just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so if you are at all interested in helping with that or supporting the families that are in need, um, Cindy is coordinating food and uh, things like that to help them out. Her info is right there, but if you're interested here in-house, she's right in the back, and you can talk to her at any point after service. I'm sure she would be uh, loving to discuss that with you. All right, we are in a series in Ruth, 
Um, I have not spent personally a ton of time reading Ruth in the past. I do various Bible plans throughout, and I read Ruth, but admittedly, I skim through Ruth. Like, I don't, I read the whole thing, but I've never done like a deep dive or a deep study until Glenn told me like a couple months ago before we were um, meeting in person that we would be doing a series in Ruth. And once he told me that, I was like, all right, there's probably something to this because Glenn is Glenn and he's a very smart man. So if he wants to do Ruth, there's probably something on it. He also read a book that he really wanted to um, incorporate into a sermon series. So uh, I get a crack at it. And as I was reading Ruth, I found myself uh, feeling like it was a gospel. Like I felt like I was reading uh, something very similar to like a Matthew or a Mark, um, and, and something like that. So today's title, especially in the chapter that we're in, chapter two, I, t- I titled our sermon, The Gospel of Ruth. Um, we are in, we're starting Ruth chapter two. If you've been following along throughout the sermon series, Glenn has been surgically moving through very uh, thoughtfully. I, I was going to say slowly, but that sounds mean. Thoughtfully moving through the book of Ruth. Um, and so we just wrapped up chapter one last week. So I'm going to take a stab at chapter two. And I titled it the Gospel of Ruth specifically for this section of Ruth 2, 1 through 16 for this reason. If you were Google search and look up the definition of gospel, uh, the teaching or revelation of Christ, the kingdom of God, and salvation. And as I was reading uh, through chapter two this week over and over again, The amount of times I would read parts of this story regarding Ruth, especially when she's returning uh, back to Israel with uh, with uh, Naomi, is how much stuff happens in those few verses in that passage that reminds me so much of different stories throughout the gospel, specifically things that Jesus said. And so I found myself over and over again being like, "Man, this reminds me so much of the gospel. This reminds me so much." Of, of Jesus. Like, this reminds me so much of what we get taught later on. And so, um, as most people become more and more aware, and the more you read your Bible, the more and more you see things out of the Old Testament that foreshadow what happens in the New Testament. And we find out that Scripture is not these two totally separate um, books or to- totally separate stories. Actually, God's narrative of redemption and renewal of all things uh, it starts in Genesis and really continues into Revelation and is carrying on today. And things like the book of Ruth, which is like four pages long in most people's Bible, it's pretty small. You suddenly are able to pick out so many rich, rich things. So we're going to drop right into Ruth 2, 1. I'm going to pray really quick, and then we'll get started. Jesus, thank you so much that we get to gather again. It has done good for my heart to be able to um, be back together. So for totally selfish reasons, thank you that we get to gather again. And also for those who have just been in need of connection, in need of um, being in community again and to uh, be in a safe place. God, I hope that our, our house, that this house, this church is, is a safe place for people um, to come as they are, but to also to experience you and to worship you freely. Uh, God, would you um, bless the words as, as I speak this morning? Anything that is not of you, would you um, just flush it? And anything that is, is of you, would it land on good soil? Yeah, give us a open eyes and open hearts to hear you. Yeah, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ruth 2, 1. We'll just hop right in. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimech, 
whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz answered the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Also, if you guys want to give me a sec, I totally forgot my iPad with all of my notes over here. Just going to make a quick run. Really quick, really, really quick. I knew I was missing something. This felt too easy. Bear with me. Thank you so much. All right. So here we've got a you know, basic start. Naomi and Ruth are back in, in Bethlehem. And uh, they obviously, as Glenn has, has gone over, they have foreigners traveling to a different land. Naomi's coming back home after basically making a brand new home uh, in Moab. Like there's, there's oodles of reasons why this would be super complicated. Uh, when you're moving cross country or wherever else, there's a lot of stuff you have to leave behind. And even when you're, Zoe and I just moved, just bought a house here in Tiger. We moved five minutes down the street and boy, did we find out how much stuff we could not keep. Um, and so you find, and then we found all kinds of things that we needed instead, all the, all the different things we needed to buy. And so we found out um, just how, how in need we were of certain things. I can't imagine the kind of need that Ruth and Naomi had, including with food as well, especially after traveling so far and having lived in Moab for so long. So Ruth decides she wants to go collect some harvest, some food, um, and, and she knows that she is the foreigner to these harvesters. And so she just asks, can I simply be behind you? Basically, can I, can I collect whatever it is you don't? Can I, can I pick up the, 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 the leftovers? And um, her humility in this reminds me so much uh, of a passage from Jesus in Matthew 23 said, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Ruth has chosen to move with Naomi after Naomi pleads with her to stay in her home, to stay in her home country. You don't need to come with me. I can't promise you anything. You know, my husband's dead. Your husband is dead. I'm not going to be able to remarry and bear you a new son for you to marry into my house. So Naomi essentially adopts her and Ruth chooses a life of servanthood to Naomi. She chooses a life of humility. And so we have this foreshadowing of the gospel through also a woman. Oh no. Uh, And that was just unheard of at the time. Unheard of at the time. And it's something that we probably don't discuss enough in church, which is part of why Glenn picked Ruth as a book to do a series in. Because Ruth displays and foreshadows in us in the Old Testament what we don't see out of multiple kings in Israel, out of this whole chunk of the Old Testament in Judges, various leaders who, who sin and fall and fail miserably. But what we see in Ruth, this Moabite woman, so a foreigner and a woman not from Israel, is this posture of servanthood. So we see this foreshadowed in the person of Ruth. We'll carry on. Ruth 2, 8 through 14. 
So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. We'll get to the last little bit of it here, but there's two parts of this that I really wanted to highlight in this story. So first we highlighted Ruth's posture of humility, her posture of servanthood. We see a foreshadowing of what Jesus um, came to demonstrate as far as servant leadership, but not just servant leadership, uh, just a heart to serve, right? Just a posture of service, a willingness to co- go low for someone, to do, to do the, the dirty thing, to, do, to be in the back, to be unseen. Ruth is unseen as she's on the harvest field. That's what Jesus is alluding to with being the servant. We're going to take another look, and now we see Boaz reflecting what it means to be in a position of leadership or to be in a position of privilege even. And here we go in Luke. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. This is Jesus who's saying this. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Really important part. Is it not the one who is at the table who is greater, but I am among you as one who serves. Boaz intentionally invites Ruth to his table and says, how can I serve you? Now, this is a man who has got no business logically in this world, in this time, and in this era to associate with this woman. No reason whatsoever. It's everything upside down from culture at the time, frankly, culture in this time with certain people. You know, there's a lot of people who still think if I'm the one hosting and I'm the one doing all the stuff, then I don't need to serve you. But the posture of Boaz and then what we see here from Jesus is a posture of service. Leading is a servant leadership posture. So we have two things. We have the posture of Ruth, who is humble, meek, and low. We have the posture of Boaz that even though I'm in a position of leadership, even though I might be in a position of privilege, I know that I didn't necessarily do anything to earn that. So I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. If I have authority and I have anything to give away, then I need to give it away in a posture of serving. I need to give it away and make room at, at a table. It's not my table to begin with, so I need to make room for others at the table. The, po- the posture of Boaz is one of someone who knows God. Because when you know the Lord and you know God, you know it's not your table that you're hosting people at. Right here. Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. 
so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, what fabulous foreshadowing. We are, we're not in this yet. We're not even close to this in, in this part. We're in, we're in Ruth. We're in, the, we're in the time of the judges in Israel. And we see this reflection of, it's not my table. It's not, my, it's not mine. This is a table that I have the access to and the privilege to or whatever it might be. But if that's, if that's the, the responsibility I've been given, my stewardship is in a posture of serving, to give it away, to make room for, because it's not my table. It's the Lord's table. And we see that foreshadowing in the leadership of Boaz and his willingness, even in the midst of his position and authority, he takes a posture that was, is otherwise unheard of and not seen. We'll continue on. In the last little bit of Ruth here, the, at least this part, I'm gonna, Glenn again has been dissecting, so I don't want to take away an opportunity for him to do a whole sermon on two verses. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. I love this. I think this is such an important part of this passage and part of why, again, the gospel of Ruth, why Ruth demonstrates to us so much uh, of Jesus, even though it's way before his coming in his time. This is huge. Jesus' words about they who have will be given more. Let's read this passage really quick. Eight, Luke 8, 16 through 18. I know a lot of Bible today. So, so much. I know. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now, for a long time, I've really struggled with this verse. I didn't really know what it meant. But honestly, through reading Ruth and then going back and rereading this in its full context and everything like that, I, and I could be wrong here. I don't think I am. I think what Jesus is talking about, the whoever has will be given more. It's not about what you monetarily have or the things you have or the stuff you have. It's not about like how much I have. And if I, if I just get, get enough stuff that shows that I'm, I, that I'm privileged and favored and blessed or whatever, then I'm just going to have more. No, no, no. If you have the posture, and I, I, again, this just dawned on me this week. Maybe you all know this, which wouldn't surprise me. There's a lot of smart people in the room. But for me, whoever has will be given more. The has part is about whoever has this posture of servants, whoever has this posture of meekness and lowliness, and servanthood will be given more. We watch with Ruth out of a posture of servanthood, out of a posture of meekness, out of a posture of lowliness. Boaz, not only does he invite her to the table, have her for dinner, serve her food, but he also sets aside extra bundles, leaves more along with giving her access to his fields. It's not just, it's not just, the, you know, whatever the standard expectation is, it's, a, it's more than. It's an abundance of. And that's out of a posture. That's out of a, out of a posture from Ruth. And to me, that's what I finally kind of 
got out of this text out of Luke. And that's from a, because people are willing to serve openly. They're not afraid of being meek. If with Ruth or whether it's Jesus talking to the disciples in this, in this parable, people are not afraid to be seen as the lowly one or being, ser- or being a servant. I think one of the great examples of people that people just see serving, but they don't say anything and they carry on is the dude in the back running the board right now. Like I look at Brogan, <laughs> I look at Brogan right now, but he's a perfect example. I'm not going to name names or anything, but Brogan basically got thrown into this this morning to run sound along with sound for the stream, along with helping me get all this up and running. And that's precisely this. He's not hiding, but he's not going to say anything either. So whoever has will be given more. The more I watch him serve, the more I've seen him being able to influence people. The more I've watched him serve, the more I've watched him just organically, naturally be himself. People are influenced by him. I mean, I could sit and probably pick at very di- various different people in the room. Brogan is just the victim that I picked, so sorry about that. But this is the posture of what it means to follow Jesus. This is where we're at. She says it in the previous passage. I don't know what I've done to garner such favor. Like, there's such a posture of... I'm just doing what I feel like I'm like, this is just what it means to serve. This is just what it means to follow God. This is just what it means to be faithful is to do this. She doesn't see it as a way to get favor because she's got, she's still wondering, how do I have this? Why do I have favor? She's not serving and being the last person in the back and picking up the leftovers and, and going out and helping Naomi uh, because it'll look good later on, especially not in that culture. And in that time, nobody would have paid attention wasn't important. Women were considered second class. Foreigners were considered less than third class. And somehow, out of being faithful, out of a place of servanthood, not only is Ruth elevated to the status of someone like Boaz's table, she's also given abundantly more. She's seen as someone who serves, someone who should have enough and have an abundance and have plenty to give away. So to me, this is, they who have humility, meekness, service in their heart will be given more. Boaz serves the servant. He elevates and exalts the lowest and the least. And that to me demonstrates the other side of it. For Boaz, whoever has will be given more. True character is shown in in that moment right there. He's already in a position. He doesn't have anything to worry about. His status if anything, by helping Ruth, comes into question, gets called into question. But instead, he does it anyway. Whoever has will be given more. So even though he risks his status and he could risk his, his, the way he's perceived and seen throughout Bethlehem, or whatever else it may be, instead, there's favor on his servant leadership. And again, both of them, both Boaz and Ruth, they're not serving out of a place of what can I get out of this? And I, I've fallen trapped to that a lot, especially here in like, not necessarily this church, but in church culture, man, how many times did I try and serve into so many things thinking, man, if I just serve, if I just do it, then I'll probably get enough favor. Like I'll get, like I'll garner enough attention and enough favor where like, then I'll kind of get elevated. And I treat it like a, 
you know, like a ladder of success job in the United States. And the reality is the posture that Jesus is calling for is not that at all. That's why this verse is so key. It's already, it, either it's in you from the transforming work of Jesus or being cultivated in you, or it's not. It'll be exposed for what it is. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. So even the, the little influence that I might think I have will probably be taken from me if my, if, my, if my inside and my posture is just to get more favor, to have more influence, to be, uh, to be considered as, you know, uh, uh, a worthy voice. But if my posture in my heart is truly just to serve, if that's what I have in me, the more will be given as the more I live in that. So that has to be our posture. Man, you know what? I'm, I'm going to brag for a sec here. I did a really good job on time today. I'm going to leave you guys with this thought, and then we're going to pray. Yeah, take that, Glenn. Timing. Yeah, got it. Uh, in, our, in our places of influence, may we servant lead like Boaz. In our relationship with God, our leaders or bosses, and with one another, may we posture our hearts in humility and meekness. I'll say that one more time. Probably should type it on the slide, but that's all right. In our places of influence, may we servant lead like Boaz. And in, a, in, in our places of serving, uh, whether it be in our relationship with God, our leaders or our bosses, and with one another, our peers, may we posture our hearts in humility and meekness. I think this is so important, especially now when we look at our culture and the time that we're in. It's so easy, man, it's so easy right now to pick a side of people you agree with or that you are most like and then not be willing to serve or go low. What's the Michelle Obama quote? Um, they go low, we go high. And the theme is very similar to the gospel Jesus means going low in the sense of I'll serve anybody. I'll, I'll go, I'm not better than anyone. There's no one that isn't deserving of being served. There's no one that isn't deserving of grace. There's no one that isn't deserving of mercy. And the quote is, it, it's essentially saying the same thing. If somebody takes a dig and takes a jab, we go and do the right thing anyway. And I feel like right now it's really easy to pick a side and then ignore doing the way of following Jesus. It's really easy to avoid the very convicting call to serve people that we don't like. It's very convicting. How does this look? Man, I've run into this. How does it look if I, you know, agree with this person, but then they say something, I'm like, oh, that feels super condemning of other people. I'm worried about my status in that person's life. I'm worried about how am I going to be viewed. So even like I do this in my head. I'm concerned about my status of what I look like. If even though I might agree with someone, my conviction leads me to still serve and to still posture in humility. It's not enough to agree and then just camp out. Following Jesus is this fine line and this tension. And we see it in Ruth and we see it in the way that Boaz leads. This tension of, man, foreigner woman looks bad having her in my house doesn't care, just does the right thing. 
does the thing of the Lord, does something that Jesus would do. And I think the call for us is to posture ourselves again, whether we're in uh, a place of influence, um, depending on whether it's work or even just in your marriages or with your friends, where you have influence to, to, to serve and get really low. How can I serve you? Chris Brosman's helped like four people move in three months or something in the last, that's like, we all know this, helping people move is like the lowest thing you can do. Hey, help me move for 12 hours, I'll pay you in pizza. It's going to be great. So that, that's one of, the best way, one of the best ways. And then when we are in positions of serving, doing so out of a place of posture. Serving here at this church is a great example. Serving Glenn Schroeder is serving someone else's vision. Sometimes there might be a disagreement. Sometimes some of us on the leadership team, we might not like what Glenn suggests. Glenn explains it to us, but I'm not here. I'm here first to serve the Lord and then to serve Glenn's vision because I believe in him. And there's something powerful about being able to serve someone else's vision. And then there's something about being someone with vision and leading and letting people influence it. And that's what we see here. I'm going to wrap up. I could just blab on and on and on. I'm really good at it. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org slash give.